I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said good morning, Miss Chelsea. Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I'm sorry. Y'all were fine. It was Chelsea who was ignoring me, and so I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. So, hey, we are so glad you are here this morning. Let me give you just a few quick announcements. This Saturday, uh, upcoming Saturday, uh, the men will be getting back into our monthly men's breakfast. We'll be gathering at Moe's Country Kitchen over at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, if you have some questions about that, you're going to want to see uh, Mark. And if you don't know who Mark is, just ask some other guy, and then eventually all roads will lead to finding Mark. And so, uh, and then on... Uh, the plan is beginning October the 7th, we will be launching uh, back into our fall semester of merge groups and student groups. Uh, and so uh, if you would like to stay up to date about that, we would love to give, encourage you to go to mergecc.com slash connect. Uh, and then just uh, under the sign up section, just say merge groups. We will make sure you are up to date on all of that uh, information regarding the groups. We're, we're excited about uh, being able to get back into them after uh, being out for such a long time. And so, uh, and then last reminder we want to give you is uh, we have been changing over from our uh, Simple Give uh, app to a new giving platform. Uh, and so that's going to end up running its course at the end of uh, September. And so uh, if you haven't had the chance to make that transition yet, uh, we would love to make sh to remind you to, to do that. And so I think that's what we had, right? Yeah, inspirational, right? Yeah, not everybody. Not everybody's best part of the service is the announcements, and so uh, so we would like to go ahead and lower your standards. So um, no, before we get the chance to lift high the name of Jesus, uh, before we get the chance to respond to God for all that He has done for us, uh, let's take a moment. Let's stand to our feet. Let's wave at some people. Say it's good to see you.
King. And I pray in this place right now that our heart is set right before you. Right now it is our desire. We're excited. We have a passion to meet with you.
just so powerful. Your love is so deep. It's washing over me. Your faith is all I see. Oh, my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. God, sing that to you this morning. Lord, hear my only cry. story that you've written for us, the path that you've ordained for us, and for us to be able to look and say it is well, it is well with my soul, struggle and all, good days, bad days, highest mountains, lowest valleys, that it is well with my soul, and that I chase after you.
If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Uh, we are in our, uh, I guess, our third week of, of chapter 12, where there's, there's still a lot to take note of. And uh, the first two uh, verses of this chapter kind of set the stage by, by connecting us to the lives of those who have gone before us by saying that, that since they lived by faith, they, models for, they model for us how we can live uh, by faith, that we can trust the promises of God, uh, that we can trust that those promises are true, uh, that uh, in our lives, and we can rest secure that His treatment of us comes from His desire to love. Uh, specifically to love his children. And, and so, so because of this, uh, we're encouraged to strive to live uh, what the Bible calls holy lives, where we lay aside, where we strip away uh, sin that, that clings so closely to us. If you remember last week, we, we kind of talked about sin being uh, uh, pretty much an eagle on your shoulder, and the longer you let it stay on your shoulder, the more it's talons kind of want to dig in, making it more difficult to knock them off. And, but the Bible says that we would uh, lay aside and we would strip away sin that clings so closely so that we can run with endurance the race that God has set before us, that we would live out the adventures of the God's size and that uh, as we go with Him, He takes us into unimaginable adventure. And, and so, so while we run, we're constantly encouraged, and this has been the aim of the entire book of Hebrews, that while we run, we would look to Jesus who shows us how to run in every single circumstance. So, so, so this carries us uh, into verses 3 through 11 where we are to consider Jesus and we're to consider the hostility that Jesus received uh, from sinners. And, and the reason we do that is because when we experience hostility, right, or when we experience uh, uh, hostility from sinners, our temptation uh, will be to grow toward weariness and faint-heartedness. And when we do this, our temptation becomes uh, to make us weak, and as we are weak, the struggle, our struggle against sin becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And this takes us into a, a conversation about God's role into our holiness, and that He desires that we would share in His holiness. And so, so he takes this active role. This is what we talked about last week. He takes this active role in fighting sin. Uh, and the Bible refers to this role as, as the discipline of the Lord. And, and we should uh, receive this, I think, better than we typically do, as the writer explains, that, that God's discipline comes into our lives not as if we were his enemy, but, but rather we are being treated as sons and daughters. Uh, and that, that any loving father uh, would give discipline or bring discipline into the lives of, of their children. And so, so even as earthly fathers bring or, or brought discipline in the ways that they saw best, our Heavenly Father brings discipline for our, for our good, that we may share in, in His holiness. And so, so God's active role in our holiness is such an important part of our growing in Jesus. And, and so we, we ended in verse 11 last week where with this realization that, that in the moment, right, and if you've ever experienced discipline, well, let's just be honest, we all have, uh, that, that in that moment, 
all discipline seems painful, uh, whether that be the discipline of, um, of punishment or, or restriction or uh, just the discipline of trying to grow. All of that feels uh, painful, uh, but as we saw uh, in, in the passage, later what it does is it's, it's yielding, it's benefiting us by producing a fruit of righteousness if we are being trained by that discipline. And so, so where we go this morning is going to continue in this theme, uh, with this theme in mind as the writer builds us towards understanding really the goal of the Christian race. He's going to tell us, hey, when we talk about running, here's two things that we're really trying to run towards. Uh, and, and then in doing that, we're going to see in three sections uh, so, some important principles uh, to keep in mind when it comes to what faith is and how we operate in it. And so uh, before we get there, let's, let's stop and let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our ability to not just read it, but for your Holy Spirit to meet with us and to teach it to us. And, and we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open to seeing your Son more clearly so that our lives are changed more dramatically so that a world that is dark and lost and dying, that they can find hope based on the testimony of our lives. So as we come to your word this morning, we do, we come humbly and we come expectantly. And we come with a thankful heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so so if you, if you know me, um, it's difficult for us to start uh, a passage with the word therefore. Uh, because we kind of have to do the work to, to say, okay, so what are... Anytime you get to that word, therefore, we know it's connecting us to what's been developing, right? We're not, we're not beginning a, a new exhortation, uh, rather based on our instruction to not mess with sin uh, by allowing God to play a role in our fight against it, realizing that not all discipline will feel pleasant, though it's beneficial, uh, that the writer's going to give us a further instruction. Uh, and in it, uh, it's going to set the stage for the last 14 verses uh, and a deeper explanation of what God has made available to us in Jesus. So he starts uh, verse uh, 12 by saying, therefore. Okay, so he says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and, and strengthen your weak knees and, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That we would strive for peace with everyone. If you like to mark up your Bible, this is a great place. Uh, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And, and so, so here's what I love. I love the posture that the writer encourages us to have here because it's so easy at times when to feel defeated by, by external circumstances or inner struggles, right? Is that, is that not the case? Am I the only one that kind of thinks that? Uh, that, it, that it's so easy to feel defeated in so many other areas of our lives whenever we're experiencing external circumstances or, or inward struggles. And, and we've been talking these last couple of weeks about uh, really some, some really difficult things. Uh, not, not only are we wrestling with the damaging effects of, of sin, uh, but we're also coming to a realization that, that the process in stripping away sin can be hard. 
Uh, in fact, uh, it can be painful for a time. And, and it's, it's like the writer knew this about himself or he knew this about us. Uh, and so he wants to bring us some encouragement and he wants to bring us uh, some clarity. And so he says, in essence, have strength and be encouraged. He says, he says you, you are not as weak as you think you are. And, and in verse 14, he reminds us of our goal of the Christian race. And he says, he says our lives should be about these two things, that, that, that we should be about peace with all men. And then secondly, holiness before the Lord. And really, it's, it's interesting because those, those two thoughts kind of work in with each other because you can't have holiness with the Lord and without having peace with all men. But then again, you have no motivation to have peace with all men if it wasn't for the holiness of the Lord. And so, so what he's telling us is something really important. He says, your lives are about something other than just the story of you. And so how we interact with an unbelieving world, how we interact with, a, with believers uh, inside the church matters a great deal if we are to run our race with endurance to get to the prize that we are waiting for uh, as we not only experience adventures with God today, but as we go forevermore. And, and I think when we talk about peace with all men and, and holiness with God, we're reminded of, of Jesus' high priestly ministry. Uh, in fact, if you remember uh, back in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, that was like, I don't know, in 2005, it seems like, uh, that, that, one, that the roles of Jesus' high priestly ministry is that he is the king of peace, and at the same time, he's the king of righteousness. Uh, and so, so what we're learning is that it takes diligence to run the race successfully if, lest we fail to obtain uh, the grace of God, as, as verse 15 is going to tell us. And so, uh, and, and I should probably be more careful about how I say that. Um, God's grace does not fail us, but what we're going to find out is that we can fail to take advantage of His grace. Uh, and so, so as we work toward that end, to the end of this chapter, this is what the writer is encouraging us to depend on, the grace of God. And he urges us to understand uh, kind of what faith is. But today it's in, it's in like three directions. Okay, The first direction he's going to tell us is, hey, when it comes to your faith, I want you to look back. Uh, and when I tell you to look back, I want you to look specifically back to a guy named Esau. And then when, when you look at Esau, what I'm telling you is don't be like him. Right? And that's one of the best parts of being able to walk through the Bible, because you can see very clearly at times, hey, what they did was not pleasing to God, and God did not like that, so I probably shouldn't do that either. Right? Uh, and then there's other times that you see people who are doing incredible things for the story of God, uh, and you say, God is very pleased by that. Maybe I should emulate my life or model my life behind those actions. And so, so what the writer tells us, he says, he says come in. He says, look back, I want you to look at Esau, and then I want you to say, I don't want to be that guy. Right? So he says this in verse 15. See to it, right, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So this is a story, this is an instruction not just for me as, as Brandon, but us as the church, that we would be in the business of helping people obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled, that, that no one is sexually immoral uh, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that 
that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And, and so, so because God is at work in our holiness, as verse 10 tells us, uh, and, and our peace, as verse 11 tells us, uh, therefore do not, obtain to, uh, do not fail to obtain this grace, that verse 15 tells us, but submit to God and pursue the very peace and the holiness and the strength that He is working in you and for you by His loving discipline. And, and don't be like Esau, who was willing, and this is, this is the issue with Esau here. Esau was willing to trade away a lifetime blessing for the fleeting satisfaction of sin. That's, this is the word picture that we're drawing. Uh, in fact, Esau uh, certainly failed to act on God's grace. And, uh, and if you want to, to spend some time this week in the Bible, uh, and you were like, I need to know more about this Esau guy, uh, go to Genesis chapter 25, and then go again to chapter 27. And, and Esau is, is described in the word as a profane man. Uh, and uh, in, in fact, in, in, which doesn't necessarily... Uh, mean what we typically think of it. The Bible describes a profane person as as really just a, as a common person uh, who who lives for the world and not for God. And so so Esau despised his birthright. He, he sold it uh, to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Right? That's basically what happened. I don't know if you've ever been so hungry you're willing to give away pretty much your entire life. Uh, but that's what Esau did. He comes in from hunting. He's starving, and uh, and his brother says, hey, I'll give you this bowl that I made uh, if you give me your birthright. Uh, and Esau says, well, what good is a birthright to me if I die right now? Uh, and, and so he gave it to him and immediately regrets that action. Uh, and, then, and then Esau, because of that, he, he's going to miss out on this blessing as it was given to Jacob. And afterward, Esau tries to get his dad to give him the blessing that belonged to him, but it was too late. And through tears, he's rejected. And, and so as we talk about this fleeting pleasure of sin that Esau was willing to, to have for a bowl of soup, which must have been a great bowl of soup, um, but I don't think it was. I think it was just like every other bowl of soup he's ever had. But, but the question becomes, what sins will rob us of enabling God's grace. And the writer tells us. He says, he says a lack of spiritual diligence. He says, bitterness against others. He says, sexual immorality. He says, living for the world and the flesh. And, and, and now some people, again, have the idea that when Esau is described as a profane person, uh, is that he's blasphemous and he's filthy and he's dangerous to be around. Uh, but what we find, if you just follow along in Esau's life, is that he was, he was a pretty agreeable guy. He was a good hunter. Uh, he would have been a great neighbor to have. Uh, he was very capable. He seems to be uh, pretty level-headed. Uh, now he has his moments, but who doesn't, right? So he would have been very agreeable. He would have been like, hey, I like that guy. He should be part of our you know, fantasy football team and uh, league. And, and so, so, But the issue is, in his life, though he looked very good and he looked very kind, uh, he's not interested in the things of God. And so given the opportunity for a momentary pleasure, he forsakes a lifetime of blessing. And so, so God's grace does not 
fail, but we can fail to depend on God's grace. And Esau is this warning that, that, that we are called to not live for lesser things. We are called to not live for lesser things. This has been the aim uh, for a few weeks now, that, that a principle that keeps our future inheritance and, and, and our future destination in mind, that, that we wouldn't, and this is the best way I've ever heard it described, we wouldn't sacrifice tomorrow for the fleeting satisfaction of today. That we would be able to weigh the cost of whatever we're dealing with. And in, in this part of Hebrews, we're dealing with sin. And we're dealing with how it clings to us and how it shouldn't and how we should get rid of it and how we should put it to death, as the word would say. And, and, and this is, as, as we talk about um, the principle of, of under, understanding our future inheritance, uh, that, that we wouldn't sacrifice tomorrow for today, that, that this is, we have to realize this, all that sin can offer is today. It's all it can. In fact, uh, a temporary moment of seeming satisfaction but the cost is much more than what we would be willing to spend if we are in our right mind and our right perspective, right? And that's what I love about some of, some of at least my arguments with God, is I act like sin just snuck up upon me and just, just pounced me. And I'm like, no, if, if I was in my right mind and I had my right perspective and I had my heart in the right place, then I would have seen how deadly and costly and sabotaging that sin would be. And so, so this is why the writer says first, he says, look back, look at Esau, don't be like that guy. And then he's going to tell us to look up uh, and see the glory of the heavenly city. Okay, this is, to me this is the most difficult part of this whole passage, passage today. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. We're going to get to this explanation in just a second. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, okay, and this is where it turns for us, uh, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the innumerable, innumerable that's, yeah, that's the best attempt I had today, um, angels of festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the the righteous made perfect into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of, of Abel. And so, so, so the writer encourages us ultimately to look at our heavenly city that he calls Mount Zion. Uh, in fact, and he contrasts Mount Zion with the Israelites' relationship with another famous mountain in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai. Remember, this is a bulk of what the writer of Hebrews does is he connects us to the Old Testament ways. And he says, he says, okay, there's, there's two mountains that I need you to be aware of. There's Mount Zion and there's Mount Sinai. And, and where Mount Sinai was a one of, of fearful and divine holiness without a mediator and with a voice that, that struck so much fear in the people that they begged the voice to stop. They said, God, stop talking it's too much for us. We, 
we, we are so full of fear because the law is being given to us that we see your holiness. We can't stand in your presence. So please, just stop. And then he goes on in this passage to contrast that with the Christian reality since, since the cross in verses 22 and 24, that, that Christians at conversion do not come to an earthly mountain to meet with God. We don't. In fact, Christianity has no geographic center. We, we come to what the writer describes as a, a heavenly city uh, with a heavenly assembly, a great cloud of witnesses and, and a divine judge, but most importantly for us, we come to this heavenly city who has a mediator whose blood was shed for our sins and, and his voice is the main voice that we hear. All invisible, all spiritual, uh, and therefore accessible anywhere. This is great news for us. That, that, and I think, I think the most explicit contrast between these two experiences is that at Mount Sinai, the speaking of God was such that they said no more, but in the Christian experience, we hear the voice of Jesus as our mediator, and we come to Jesus, who's the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood, and, and what he speaks to us is it's un, it's unreal. Because what God says when he gave the law, he says, you can't live up to my holiness the new covenant and what Jesus says is simply this, I love you, I forgive you, I purchase you, I cleanse you, I protect you, I keep you, I will always be there for you. So don't be like Esau and don't fail to obtain this precious grace that speaks to you in the blood of Jesus. That, that the fearsomeness of God is not the main message of the new covenant, that, that the motivation to not be an Esau is, is not just fear, it's, it's the preciousness of a, sub, a suffering substitute and the love of a great Savior. That's what we get. So he says, you look up. You look at, at who is dwelling in this heavenly city, that, that Abel's blood spoke from the earth and it cried out for justice. And Christ's blood speaks from heaven, and it announces mercy for sinners. This is great news for us. Abel's blood brought Cain this, this feeling of, of guilt, and rightfully so, and it drove him into this deep despair. But Christ's blood frees us from guilt and has opened the way into the presence of God. And, and were it not for the blood of the new covenant, we cannot enter this heavenly city. This is what we've been saying for months now. But in order for us to see that, we have to look up and we have to feel the confidence that we, that what we are looking up to will be able to provide what we in faith believe it will provide. And this is why verse 20, verses 25 through 29 brings us into this third direction of faith. And he says, because not only do we look back and say, don't be like Esau, and not only do we look up and we say, okay, so, so my destination uh, eventually is eternity in a heavenly city where, where Jesus speaks over me. But he says, look ahead and see an unshakable kingdom. See an unshakable kingdom. Verses, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
Okay? So, so that we would not refuse Jesus who is speaking, you can have a right relationship with the Father. That your sins can be forgiven. You can live with an inheritance as a son and a daughter of the king. That you can understand that you are not a citizen here, but you are an alien and you are a citizen in heaven. So, so he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for, for they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of of all things that are shaken. Understand that. This phrase, yet once more, uh, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be Shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And and, and here's where we're at that, that God is speaking to us today, and He speaks to us through His Word, and He speaks to us through His providential workings in the world. And the cry of Hebrews is listen. Pay attention. Listen. If God shook things at Sinai and those who refused to hear were judged, how much more responsible are we today who have experienced the blessings of Jesus? That, that, that God today is shaking things. Okay? It doesn't take us very, uh, it doesn't take a lot of attention to, to notice that. To take note that, that we are living in a time where we have been shaken in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different ways, all at the same time. That God is shaken. And we said this a couple of months ago uh, when we started gathering again in our, in our series about um, don't waste your pandemic. We said that, that you know, when, when God shakes things and they settle, they never resettle the same way. And so, so what we're finding is that God says, I'm going to shake things. He says, says, I'm coming for my glory, and one day I will prove that I have control. I will prove once and for all that I have control and I have ownership over all things. And so in this process, I will shake these things to help you see that when I shake things, there are things that stand, and the things that stand are the things that I make stand. They're the things that I secure for you. So no matter the circumstance of our lives, when things get shaken... God says there are things that are immovable. They are unshakable. And I think the problem with a lot of our lives, and this is me included, is that I think there, there are times in my life when I think there's no possible way that thing will ever shake. And not only does it shake, it crumbles. And then the grip that I had on it, I don't know what to do anymore. Because it can't bring me the security that I thought it would always provide. And it's in that moment God says, yes. It's in that moment God says, no, you, you don't have the control that you think that you have. 
You don't have the influence that you think that you have. Because in those things, your security wasn't really in, the, in those, that thing that has now crumbled. Your security was in your own ability to take care of your own world and to be your own little God. And so God says that with my voice, I shake things. And the things that we come back to, we have to understand, are what God is saying, this is, these are the things you can put your trust and your hope and your security and build your life around. Because these aren't secured by a hostile world. These aren't secured by well and good intentions. These are secured by the word of my testimony. And, and the shaking quotation, it, it comes from uh, Haggai, uh, Haggai? Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to say. It. Um, uh, chapter 2, and it refers to that time when, when the Lord shall return and will fill his house with glory. And, and as events draw near to that time, we shall see more shaking in this world. And that's, that's, hard, that's hard for some of us, right, to get our hearts around that, that man, it, it might get harder and it might get tougher. Because some of us already feel that we're at the end of, of a rope. And it's all about where we place our trust. It's all about where we place our security. Again, not, not all discipline at the time feels good, but it is beneficial because it's producing the fruit of righteousness so that we may share in His holiness. And so this shaking, as events draw nearer to that time, we see more shaking in this world. And, and a Christian can be confident, for, for he shall receive an unshakable kingdom. An unshakable kingdom. In fact, he, he's part of, of God's kingdom uh, today. We can start wrapping this up, Flynn. So, so verse 28, let's come back to that real quick. Therefore, let us, so what's our, as we talk about, we look back and we don't try to be like Esau, and we look up and so we see the heavenly city, and we look ahead and we understand that we're part of an unshakable kingdom. Um, how do we wear that, right? What do we do about that? And verse 28 says, let us therefore be, what? Grateful. Let us be grateful. Let us, let us respond to God with gratitude for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So it dawns on me that we tend to think of fire uh, in, in strange ways. That when, there are times we see fire and we are fearful of it because we understand its power. We understand its heat. And we know that if we get in it, it brings pain, right? And I think as we talk about Mount Sinai, there was a God who says, this is, I, I am these things. If you get too close to me, you can't stand in my presence. And it's not because he hated us. It's because his holiness was so beautiful and it was so strong that to be in that presence would undo us. And so he says, the writer says, God is a consuming fire. And we, we approach the fire with respect and with reverence and awe because it's beautiful. You ever just sit and watch a campfire? You ever just sit in your, at your house and watch your, your fireplace? The fire, it's awe-inspiring. But there's also this 
other aspect of fire that I think is so helpful to me because it provides a beacon when I'm lost in the darkness. That, that it provides a security and a safety that, that when I'm around the fire, I know what else is, is uh, I, I know um, with better assurance what's lurking out there in the darkness. It provides warmth when I am cold. And sometimes just that fire is just a, it's an incredible place to stop and just not be moving. And so we're, we're encouraged at the end of this chapter to respond to God with, with reverence and awe and worship and gratitude. And we do this because our faith is growing. That's, that's where we've been for, I guess, about six or seven weeks now. That, that our, our faith is growing. And as our faith grows, it should always grow our gratitude. And when we grow in our gratitude with God, we want to give Him more and more of our heart. And we want to make more, we want to make uh, much of who He is and what He has done. And so, so I guess our question that we come back to at the end of, of this chapter, and we'll go to chapter 13 next week, and we only have a couple more weeks. Uh, in Hebrews, but but as we get to the end of this chapter, and as we think about faith, which says, you know, it's 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 hope, and it's assurance in the promises of God. That's a, just a paraphrase. It's hope that the promises of God are true, and it's assurance that the promises of God are true. That as we get to the end of that, and we get to saying, okay, where is my faith? And the question I think we have to reconcile. Is, is my faith growing my worship? Because if it's not, what we've been dealing with here is that it's not faith. that you're, It's not faith in God that you're leaning on. Because we come to the end as we see the goodness of God. And the only proper response we can give when we see Jesus clearly and we understand what God has done to rescue us and to cure us and to bring us into this unshakable kingdom. We respond with all of our hearts. We respond with with all of our praise. We make the testimony of our lives to be about Him. We pursue peace with man. Even, Even when peace is their fault, even when the absence of peace is their fault, when they've wounded us or when they've done something wrong against us, we pursue peace not because they deserve it, but because we didn't deserve our right standing with God and Jesus. And so we live with peace and forgiveness, and we pursue holiness. And in pursuing holiness, we we try to strip away sin that clings to us. Because God's desire is for us to live holy. And the reason being, because when we live holy, we can live with Him. And it's out of His great love that He restores all of that. So our desire this week is to love God by... There we go, Logan. Found it. There's a delay in the back of the room. Um, this, is where we, this is where we end. If, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, we'll have some people over on this side. 
If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe he is the only way to have a right relationship with the Father. Uh, and that he is more than willing to forgive us of not only our past sins and our current sins and our future sins, but he's willing to restore us and help build us into something that is beautiful. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care so deeply for us to give us the gift of your word. And I pray that we would ask some important questions this morning about about our faith and and whether it's growing. And and if it's growing, then is that an indication of our worship to you? Because, Father, all we really want is to bring you an offering of praise that is acceptable to your sight. We acknowledge from your word that that you're not interested in playing the game of worship, that, that you long... For, for our worship to just naturally flow. And that we do that as we see Jesus more clearly. So Father, help us be a people who long to see Jesus more clearly. Help us not just hear these words, but help us apply these words so that they can be part of our lives with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
guys have a blessed week. You're dismissed.